0: They're still experiencing a shortage of nurses, and as COVID persists, some are leaving staff jobs to become travel nurses, and in some cases, tripling their salaries. As shortages occur in hospitals, the demand is rising for travel nurses, and it can be very lucrative for them if they're flexible enough to move around for weeks and months at a time. For more on how travel nursing is taking off, we'll speak to Lenny Bernstein, health and medicine reporter at The Washington Post.
1: During the first year of the pandemic, this really took off, there was 35% growth in the travel nurse market in 2020. And now they're expecting another 40% on top of that in 2021. So you're talking about maybe 140,000 travel nurse vacancies in, in this country. Now that's, That's a small fraction of the 2.6 million nurses who work in hospitals around the country, but it's a very critical faction because wherever you have a spot shortage, these nurses are racing in to fill the void, and we're having more and more of those voids, and we're having uh, more and more nurses, as you said, burn out because of the pandemic, and so this is becoming an ever-larger phenomenon to the point where... Uh, we've got forty thousand vacancies in the travel nurse market. You can you can basically get it get this job if you have the right certifications. You can get one this afternoon, and um, you you also uh, have the continued pandemic, so no one really knows where it's going to end.
0: One of the other interesting sides of this, though, because it sounds pretty good, right? If you're a nurse and you have the opportunity, you can go travel. You can make more money. You can help out people in other parts of the country. But it also highlights kind of the pay disparity, you know, people that are working at uh, their their hometown hospital, however it is, you know, they're making whatever their salary is, these travel nurses come in, do the same jobs, and they're making triple that amount.
1: So you will hear stories, and I wasn't able to track any particular anecdote down and and prove it, but well, as I was doing my reporting, you will hear stories about a travel nurse working side by side with a staff nurse, the staff nurse, for whatever reason, family, uh, home, uh, aged didn't want to leave. You know, is there making her regular salary, which in America is seventy four thousand a year on average. And the travel nurse is in there for 13 weeks doing exactly the same duties, making three times that amount. Well. I think most of the time you are uh, nurses are just trying to get the job done and they're grateful for the assistance because nurses work very, very hard. Um, But yeah, you've got people with great differential in pay working next to each other doing the same job. And in fact, the staff nurse has all the experience, but is making the lower salary.
0: For the story, you profiled a man named Alex Stowe. He's 25 years old. And uh, he's been doing this for a little bit of time. I guess uh, 13 weeks is kind of that uh, sweet spot for a traveling nurse. You'll, you'll do 13 weeks at a place and then maybe move on. Uh, but tell us a little bit about him and his experience with this.
1: So really nice guy, uh, 25 years old. He was working in a hospital um, down in Lansing, Michigan. Um, he had been in the ICU for a few years, so he knew he had those skills. Uh, which are highly in demand with the number of people who end up in intensive care with with COVID. And he signed up to be a travel nurse. Well, they didn't move him all that far. They just moved him up uh, to northern Michigan. So they tripled his salary from roughly 35 uh, bucks an hour to 95 bucks an hour. And uh, he was actually still close enough that um, on his days off, he could go down to his previous hospital and work a, a day shift as a as a freelancer or a contractor. Um, and so Alex was really putting away the money um, to the point now where he's going to get a truck and he's going to pull a camper and he's going to take contracts farther away. He'll already have his place to live and he'll work for 13 weeks. He'll bank, bank basically three times what he's used to, take some time off to see the country, then uh, take another contract. And until this situation that we are in resolves itself he will be able to do that
0: and, and a little bit more on you know the situation right the nursing shortages that are going on i mentioned the aging workforce the average uh, age of a nurse is 50 and for icu nurses it's even older we saw what happened with the great resignation right a, little, a lot of people just burnt out and wanting to leave the workforce a lot of nurses left it makes the demand for the travel nurses that much more prominent but just the overall shortage of nurses is a big problem and one that doesn't seem like it's going to fix itself very soon.
1: No, it's not. Um, Nursing shortages have been a characteristic of the U.S. healthcare system for a while now. They were really worried um, back 10-15 years ago and there was a big push and they added a lot of staff nurses um, and that was good because we really were facing a, a big shortage of nurses. Well those nurses as you mentioned are getting older. RCU nurses are even older than that uh, COVID has meant that we can't bring in the usual number of foreign nurses that we use every year here in the country to to fill the gap. Uh, There aren't enough nurses coming out of nursing schools, not because people don't want to be nurses, but because there aren't that many faculty in nursing schools. And so they're not churning out enough nurses to move into the workforce as the other ones retire. And then you have the situation with if you're a 57 or 58 year old nurse, you're sort of towards the end of your career, you're looking at COVID, you're already burned out from doing that for a year, year and a half. Early retirement looks really attractive. Right. And uh, if you can afford it, you're moving on into that, into that uh, area. So there's just a number of things going on right now that are all contributing to this acute shortage of nurses, this acute short term shortage of nurses. And law of supply and demand when you got an acute shortage somebody is going to pay to fill that gap.
0: Lenny Bernstein, health and medicine reporter at the Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Finally for this week, a story about the cryptocurrency market. Decentralized finance, also known as DeFi, is a fast-growing market that is worth over 100 billion dollars with no regulation it's like the Wild West where anyone can mint a new cryptocurrency coin and pull a scam relatively easily. Enter the Rug Seekers, a group of crypto vigilantes hunting the markets for scams. After being burned by a rug pull scam and not wanting others to fall for the same schemes, Robert Browning and his team examine source code, crypto wallets, and price charts for red flags that could indicate fraud. For more on all this, we'll speak to Ms. Erlena at Golfopulu, Reporter at Bloomberg News.
2: What we're seeing is an explosion of these so-called meme coins. And, you know, it all sort of started with the main meme coin, which is Dogecoin. That was the coin that really made rounds earlier this year with a lot of investors putting money early into it and seeing some massive returns. And what Dogecoin basically created was this trend of, you know, meme tokens in the DeFi space that promise returns in some cases, tenfold or twentyfold for investors that are able to make the correct decision and put their money in a meme coin that will be pumped in a way enough where they can, you know, get a good investment out of it. And so I think that this is why you've seen so much interest from the investor point of view because there's so much volatility in these meme coins and so if you are looking to make a quick buck, this is definitely the space that you're looking into. But then for scammers, this place is completely unregulated. And so just as you mentioned, people can basically create their own coins. It's very easy. You basically just need to pull together a source code and just copy and paste that code for any coin that you want to create in that space. And so I think that it's given a lot of leeway for scammers to really create coins that promise to give investors return or promise to have a certain utility. But what they end up doing is basically getting investors to pour in money. And then the creators behind it will pull all that liquidity out of the coin. That's known as a rug pull. And they'll leave the investors that put money into it sort of hanging
0: Yeah. And for, you know, the investors, the attraction is there, right? You can buy a bunch of tokens for fractions of a penny, pretty much. A lot of times get a bunch of these tokens. You know, if you get out at the right time, as more people are putting money into it, yeah, you can make some money. But as you mentioned, a lot of times these rug pull scams, all the liquidity falls out of it. And then you're left with worthless tokens. All the money you put in there is gone at that point. So this is where a lot of these scams are happening. And for your story, you profiled a man named Robert Browning. So he runs a group called Rug Seekers who basically investigate new meme coins, new coins that are out there, follow some of the breadcrumbs and see if they're actually legitimate. And in the story, he was uh, investigating a new coin called We Save Moon. Uh, And it ended up being kind of a scam, but he was in their Telegram chat group trying to pump them for information. They banned him. Uh, It was all played out pretty interesting. So tell us about that.
2: Robert Browning is definitely a fascinating character. He's the leader of this group called the Rug Seekers. They get their name from the famous sort of pump and dump scheme that I just told you about called the Rug Pull. And they basically all met online as victims of a scam themselves. These were a few investors that all invested in this coin earlier this year that ended up losing a ton of money. And I think that the feeling of being cheated was pretty prevalent among the group. And they decided to fight back. And so now they have several members across the country. They have one in California, another one in Ohio, another one in Indiana. They also have some people in the UK. And what they do is they basically get tips for coins that may pique investors' interest or have some questionable characteristics, and they investigate. And you know, I think this is the very interesting part about the work that they do, is they've figured out the process of identifying this scam. And it's twofold. On the one end, what they can do is go into the source code of the coin, and, you know, a lot of the times these scammers will basically copy and paste the same scam code from coin to coin and keep moving on. So it's easy for them to identify any red flags when they look at the source code after doing it enough times. Then they might look up the wallets uh, and the wallet addresses that are available in really any website that features the coin. And they'll try to figure out where the money is going, where the money is coming from and see if they can figure anything out there. But the last thing that they do, which is mostly the most effective one, is go into the Telegram groups where these creators of coins talk to their investors and that is when you can really sort of weed out the scammers because what these rug seekers do is they ask very straightforward questions that you know someone would assume would be a given when it comes to a coin that's legit for example are the creators of the coin making their identity public if they're not that's a really big red flag because they're not willing to vouch for the coin they're creating themselves publicly Another thing that they look at is whether the creators have locked the liquidity of the coin, which means they can't take any of the money in the liquidity pool out of the coin if they want to, which means that your investment as you know, an investor in the coin is secure.
0: And another one that is, I guess, important, it should be the, one of the first questions anybody asks, I think, is the coin's utility you know, what does this coin do? Does it serve a purpose? Can you buy things with it? And I know there's a lot of people getting into these crypto markets and buying these coins. You go to things like Bitcoin, which uh, people accept payments for, Ethereum, all these things. They do serve certain purposes. And some of these meme coins that flash up out of nowhere, I mean, what do they do? That's the first question I always think of when I'm considering any type of cryptocurrency.
2: Exactly. If you're an investor and you're thinking, you know, should I invest in this meme coin that I haven't heard about, one of the main things that you should be looking at is what does this coin do? If the coin doesn't really do anything, then that's a bit of a red flag because it means that there's no sort of utility behind it. And there's really no reason for that coin to exist other than just people backing it and sort of pumping it, which... Ultimately, m- most often than not, goes south. If it does have a utility, then investors really should still continue to do their due diligence and try to figure out some of these other questions: Are the creators of the coin making their pu- their identity public, and have they locked in the liquidity of the coin? And are there any rewards that come with owning some of this coin? And there's different characteristics that each coin has. And again, like doing your research is is sort of the, the main strategy here in terms of avoiding
0: scams. So back to Robert Browning. He he runs his operation, his part of it from his basement in Southern Indiana. So he's uh, confronting some of the moderators in this Telegram group for We Save Mooncoin, and he's asking them all these questions. And, and uh, just tell us how the exchanges were going because at one point they basically banned him. He started kind of raising the red flags and telling other people, "Hey, this could be a scam." But in these groups, once you get banned, all their message, all your messages that you were posting get erased. So the pace at which things happen are so fast, his message kind of just gets lost right away.
2: That's exactly right. I think that was one of the most, I guess, upsetting parts of reporting out this story is ultimately seeing how little these vigilantes, if you will, can do to protect investors in this hundred, you know, billion billion industry. I mean, there is just not that much they can do rather than ask these questions, try to get some answers. And you'll notice that a lot of the times the creators of the coin won't really respond to Rob's questions because they don't have to. Rob isn't someone that they actually need to be scared of. And so as soon as they realize that Rob is in this group of being a FUD, which is, you know, sort a of crypto speak name. for... it's crypto speak for anyone who instills fear, uncertainty, and doubt for a coin, he gets blocked right away. And with his blocking, that basically means all the messages that he included in the group get deleted. And any investors who missed those messages won't really be able to get the warning signs. And so what's really interesting, though, is that you have Sort of other rug seekers across the country um, and in the UK who are working in a unison. And so what they'll do is, as soon as Rob gets kicked out, they will start asking the moderators, hey, why did you kick out the Rob user? Why is he no longer in the group? And then again, you can gauge the reaction of the coin creators who here basically act coy and say, what rug seekers guy? I have no idea who you're talking about. And then one by one, the rug seekers will start getting blocked for asking very simple questions that these coin creators should be able to answer. Eventually, what they do is they go to Twitter and they try to issue a warning and hope that they can reach as many investors as possible on social media to prevent them from throwing money into this coin. But again, Oscar, what we're seeing here is not a lot of reach. So we sort of track down how many impressions the tweet that the rug seeker sent out god and it was around you know 5000 which isn't that many people and so their reach i don't think is is that big right now but i think their efforts really speak to the fact that there's really no one else in this space doing the work that needs to be done in order to protect these investors
0: and in the end the, you know the we save moon thing was a scam it was a sl- it wasn't as fast as these pump and dump r- rug pulls it was a slower burn what they would do is anytime an investor would sell any of the tokens they'd take a little bit of money out and transfer it to some other wallets. That way they'd save some of that value for themselves. And, you know, everybody else slowly kind of lose the value of their coins. So it was a slower attempt. That's why maybe certain people weren't noticing it or whatever. But Browning and his team, they noticed it right away and were able to identify that. So, I mean, it's it's tough, as you mentioned. In a lot of cases, the decentralized finance area right here, the DeFi is... There's no regulation. So it's really hard. It's really up to these people who are trying to weed out these scams. They're the only ones that are really looking out for others.
2: Exactly. You know, there's really no regulation from the SEC um, here right now. And I think what their work proves is that investors in the DeFi space are sort of on their own right now. There's no rules. Anyone can do whatever they want. And they call it the Wild Wild West for for that reason. And, you know, I think Rob is someone who explains that he's felt the gut feeling of being scammed out of Money. And and I think that, you know, that's a feeling that he couldn't forget. And even myself being in the room with him as he was taking down these scammers, I could feel the energy. And I could tell you that it was very powerful to see these scammers sort of have all the leeway they want to take investors' money without having to explain themselves to anyone. And I think another very crucial part of this conversation is the amount of money involved. And so a lot of times, you know, people who spend money in these crypto coins, they'll spend. Not too much money by SEC standards, right? So it's not losing any investor as much money that would get the SEC to notice it and really sort of pursue any legal action. Because we're talking about a couple thousand dollars, but for specific individuals, those could be legitimate savings, you know, that they could see sort of go away over over the matter of a few minutes. And I think that's where things can get really powerful.
0: Definitely. And you know, this is where a lot of people are are making that entry point. You know, you look at things like Bitcoin over 60000 dollars It's tough to play in that area. So a lot of people go to these other types of coins just to get started and make some money a little bit. So glad you highlighted Robert Browning and his team rug seekers. Mr. Lena Pulu reporter at Bloomberg News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you guys. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive Weekend Edition.